0: You're listening to Inkstuds on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Patrick McEwan. Patrick's latest book is Hair Shirt from Self-Made Hero. Uh, new in North American stores uh, pretty recently within the last week, uh, but came out a couple of years ago in the UK. Um, kind of a rare time nowadays where something comes out there first and takes a while to make its way over here. But We're happy to see it. Um, Patrick's also probably known for work like his uh, short story in Weasel, uh, No Escape, as well as a variety of works in uh, various Dark Horse anthologies, uh, like Dark Horse Presents and uh, Mini Comics in Vancouver, work in Aracel, and countless other things, which I'll save listing off Um, Grendel. I guess I should mention Grendel. Yeah. You know, Grendel right. Warchild and Zombie uh, World. And Zombie World, that's right the yeah. with uh Mike Mignola. Um you got a lot of like disparate things. Like everything kinda comes from one weird little space. It's like prepping for this, I'm finding like a story here and a story there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh there was a listing today in the uh Comics Reporter about the books release the imminent release of the book and I I guess it was Tom Spurgeon he was sort of commenting that uh uh I might be recognized in you know, from bits and pieces that I've done, but uh nothing consistent or substantial, at least not in a long time. So
2: Mhm.
0: I gotta say though, like that one uh story you did in the back of Weasels kind of been one of those comics a lot of people like gravitate towards and talk about.
2: Well, I'm grateful for
1: that. It's kind of a high watermark for my output, so... Um.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm, glad people, I'm glad people still remember it, and I have, to, I have to thank Dave for that opportunity, actually. Thanks, Dave.
0: <laughs> Yay, Dave. Um, I guess kind of... I'm trying to figure out where to, come to start from, because we have so much to talk about. And mm-hmm. Dave... In particular, I guess, is kind of important um, for you, for you, uh, Dave Cooper, I should say, so folks know, mm-hmm. which, just not any random Canadian Dave. Um, These
1: are the Daves I
2: know.
0: Big thank you, I was waiting for that. Uh, he was, I guess, a little older than you when you started getting into comics, like a year or two, but you guys started together?
1: Um, we were actually in the same grade. I, um... I think it was sixth grade when I transferred to Dave's school at the end of the year. So he's um he's one of those kids who's like a little bit older than everyone in his class because he's born ahead of the turn of the year or whatever it is or after the turn of the year. I can't remember how that works. Revealing <laughs> my my idiocy straight out of the gate. Um So we were actually in in sixth grade together. So we're we're contemporary, but he'd been he'd been doing some zine stuff even then. I mean, we started pretty early. Um, so that would be Barry Blair and the early, uh, what was it called? Nightwind Productions was what Barry had going. And this is 1982, so. Wow.
0: Yeah. So you'd have been what, like 15?
1: No, I was. Dave and I were like 12. Jesus. <clears throat>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and y- did you want to do comics at that point, or like was that it? Like being around these other folks, kind of got you into checking out comics?
1: Um, I'm the youngest of three and uh, there were tons of comics kicking around our house when I was a kid. My older brother always drew Mm -hmm. and I started by copying his drawings. Well, I mean, I was doing my own drawings but he would do these elaborate drawings of superheroes punching the shit out of each other and I'd be like, whoa, that's cool, I want to do that. So I imitated his stuff for a while but he kind of got bored of it, um, bored with it. Board of it, I don't know. Uh, he came back. He actually worked for Aerosol for a while later, but uh, it wasn't something that he pursued in earnest. And I ended up uh, really kind of going for it. Uh, so I was drawing a lot uh, in elementary school, and yeah, it was when I met Dave and subsequently Barry that I started pursuing it in earnest because the opportunity was there. So, but it was it was there. Like you know, it was an interest. I didn't have any kind of idea at that point that i would be doing that for a living (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how many kids do when they're 12 but um it all just kind of
0: happened now i'm trying to think of some of the titles you did at the time like i know samurai Mm -hmm. was one what were some of the other ones well and i apologize for not reading the aerosol comics in preparation no, please, don't <laughs> don't
1: apologize. I'm actually a little bit chagrined about uh, digging that stuff up. If it hadn't been for... Uh, I stumbled across a post that Frank Santoro wrote mm-hmm. not long ago about what happened to the Aerosol guys. So um, uh, I emailed him, and we had a bit of correspondence about that, but I was shocked that anybody even remembered, to be honest, and actually had some good things to say about it, even in its kind of... Um, Awkward, amateurish way—it's apparently, you know, left its left its mark on people. So, um, but I don't know. It's always weird to revisit that stuff because I can see how other people can like it, but for me, looking back on it, I'm just like, oh god, it's there's nothing like making your mistakes in public.
0: Well, the, the interesting for me—not um, <laughs> even looking at the work itself, but as much as uh, kind of creating a work ethic. Because mm-hmm. if you're a teenager having to draw so much, yeah. Um, that kind of, as an illustrator, kind of pushes you to kind of develop those muscles pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it focuses you in a particular direction, like you're trying to solve particular kinds of problems, I guess, for lack of a better word, and we were working pretty earnestly uh, within within genre, so, you know, not really stepping much outside of that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: those boundaries. Um, so... Refining is maybe a strong word, but definitely pushing pushing you in that direction, so it's, they're not always the best solutions and it's not always the most ambitious direction, but uh, yeah, there was work ethic for sure, um, just having to get stuff done, uh, you know, you wanted to be perfectionist about it, I guess, but uh, you know, my notion of perfection at that time was <laughs> certainly different than it is now. <laughs>
0: I have I have a couple of old samurai pages mm-hmm. um, that I bought on eBay for some ridiculous cheap price. And, oh my uh, God! They're not your pages. Thank God. <laughs> but it, I was looking at the tools that were using at the time, and it seemed mm-hmm. like it was drawn with like black, just Sharpie marker. <laughs> like and uh, I had one that I actually gave Frank Santoro that uh, had this weird skyline, and you could tell they had used a uh, just a torn piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And then airbrushed over it to create this texture.
2: Oh
1: yeah, that was one of Barry's great tricks. Unless it was one of Guang's pages.
0: I think uh-huh. I think it was one of the other. I don't think it was a Barry page.
1: Okay, well, it, well, I mean, something that quote-unquote sophisticated probably would have been Guang Yap or maybe Jim Somerville, but uh, I don't know who else it would have been. Uh, probably not me. Now so. you moved from there to the West Coast, or. Oh, it's a it's a long and convoluted thing.
0: Um, like, I'm curious of how you kind of went from there. I don't even know what years it was that, like,
1: all that kind of wrapped up and going from there to working on Grendel. Uh, I actually started on Grendel in Montreal. Um, so Aerosol went through a bunch of convulsions before it died, and uh, I can't remember. There were a bunch of, like, episodes of downsizing mm-hmm. and... Uh, I was... I don't know if I was one of the first to go, but I had registered my dissatisfaction early, and I think, you know, everybody, you know, all concerned were happy when I left, or when I was let go, because I was, you know, I was pretty tapped out. I uh, was really not kind of meeting the deadlines because I was not that enthusiastic about what we were doing anymore. So, uh, yeah, they kept going, and before they got absorbed by... uh, Malibu or whoever it was, uh, I had already moved to Montreal,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then Gary was at that time in New York, and things were kind of up in the air for me at that point. I hadn't met Matt Wagner yet, but uh, through Bernie Moreau and worked for us at Aerosol Bernie had done Grendel, and was uh, based out of Montreal, he still is, Um, so when I moved to Montreal, I guess it was probably not even the first year that I was there, but the second year I was there, that I started hanging around with him and Joe Matt, Um, and Matt Wagner was still there at that time, and Bernie, I guess, suggested me as a possible uh, penciler for the book, because Matt had been casting around for somebody. And uh, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but eventually Matt called me, and we had a meeting, and he's like, yeah, sure, you know, if you want to do this, let's do it. So it was literally a handshake deal. <laughs> and it was still for um, Kamiko at that time, so they hadn't folded yet, and Grendel hadn't been picked up by Dark Horse. So um, I started working for those guys, uh, and then either I moved to BC at that point, or they folded and I moved to BC. No, I moved to BC, and then Kamiko went under, so I was laid off for about a year, a year and a half. And then when the book resumed, it was with Dark Horse, and uh, I think they weren't even sure they were going to bring me back at that point because I'd only done two or three issues, and I guess Mike Richardson had some uh, concerns about, I don't know if it was the quality of the work or the deadlines, or I don't even know. Um, His particular taste of the day. I guess. And I mean, I was I was still pretty new. If you look at those early issues, they're pretty rough. Um, I mean, I haven't looked at that stuff in a long time, but I recall it being, um, you know, not something I'd really want to look back on mm-hmm. too, too closely. I think things started getting good around, or not getting good, but improving around issue three. Um, and there was maybe uh, one issue on the high seas that i'm not too fond of but uh, other than that it started getting better in that time
0: i was looking at the work and kind of looking at your trajectory after that getting animation i'm wondering if at that point you were also making kind of personal work for yourself
1: hmm probably um it's, this is a long time ago now we're talking about 92 <laughs> 93 yeah um, when I was in Victoria, I was certainly doing a lot of work in my sketchbooks. Yeah, there were there were a couple of things. I had started some stuff in Montreal. Now that I now that I think of it,
0: um, I know you had that one issue of uh, I think it was Underground.
1: Oh right, um, through Air so. Yeah, I'm
0: like the Nard of comics. I'll
1: warn you now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's okay. Can you can you make the funny voices?
0: I'll get kicked off the air. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Just
1: call Hey,
0: oh. what's going on, everybody? That's right.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, Underground was there. Um, that's what to say about Underground. Uh, it was me kind of, again, being dissatisfied with a lot of the material we were doing at Aircell, wanting to do something that wasn't uh, strictly action-adventure or sci-fi, um, but still feeling kind of beholden to um, the market, I guess, or what aircel was known for, so it ended up being a lot more heightened as a melodrama than I would have necessarily liked, um, but uh, I was also, I think, 18 at the time, so... <laughs> You're going to have lots of
0: melodrama when you're 18, regardless of what your intentions are.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and just not much experience with writing or, you know, drawing, uh, maybe more than the average teenager, but um, still learning a lot. Pretty steep learning curve around that time. Anyways, um, so they humored me and they let me run with it for a while, and... uh, but I wasn't turning it around quickly enough because, again, uh, you know, it was new material for me and I didn't really know how to proceed. So it was taking a long time. And uh, they were really kind of, um, I don't know if fickle is the word, but inconsistent with that kind of stuff. As soon as they'd start feeling the pinch, they'd sort of reel something back in. So, um, I mean, we were on salary, so that's, you know, not unreasonable on their part. It wasn't a page rate, so... Um, even if I wasn't getting stuff done, I was still getting paid. Um, let's see. How did it transpire? Because it dragged out for a long time. We moved offices, I think, at least once uh, in the time that that was going on. And, but eventually they just took it away from me. So they were like, you can either finish it up, you know, super fast or we're gonna get people to help you. So they tried out three different anchors on that thing. Uh, and, you know, it's not their fault because, you know, I didn't pencil it with inkers in mind, and these guys were as, well, they were rookies like I was, so they didn't yeah. know what they were doing. And the results are mm, uneven, <laughs> 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 to say the least. Uh, it was pretty weak to begin with, and uh, there are some nice moments in it, and you can see, you can definitely see some things in um, in uh, hair shirt that uh, harken back to that. Certainly, the melodrama, but even some of the scratchy rendering. Somebody had just been asking me about that recently, and I was like, "Well, you know, I've been doing this since the '80s. It just it doesn't fit with every project." So,
2: um,
1: hair shirt's probably the first time that I was really able to to you know use it substantially.
0: Hair shirt visually is very different than most of the stuff that I was looking at. And I'm wondering how much of that is an extension of um, doing your personal artwork. I don't want to say personal, like (laughs) fine art. I don't know what the right
1: term to use. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, well, I mean, both those things come into play in different ways. Uh, I can't really make, lay too many claims to fine art except through uh, my education because I don't exhibit that work. but. Uh hair shirt is definitely, it's an intuitive way uh, of working for me, and it's just one that was not, it didn't really seem um, viable for a lot of the projects that I was working on. Um, it, I think I tried some naturalistic things with Grendel, but again, I was working for an inker, and I don't really know how to make that drawing style work for an inker. So unless I'm doing the ink work myself, I don't know how you would pencil something that way. Um.
0: <laughs> when you what about when you did uh, the project with uh, Dave Cooper, the Homecoming?
1: Yeah, that was, that was different. Again, knowing that Dave was gonna finish it, uh, you know, I I think I tried to make it a cleaner line drawing. I don't think I did much rendering at all, but I I don't have copies of those pencils anymore. So I I. Can't really recall. <laughs> but I mean they've all been they've all been quite different 'cause again, I've been working for a different ink, or it would require a different degree of quote unquote finish. Yeah. Um and the printing process has changed quite a lot even since I've been in the industry, so different things are possible. Uh so the imperatives when I started were still to try and make it fairly clean, um, for a you know for photographing it, uh, even though we did a lot of stuff with halftones at Air Cell, and we did a lot of full color, and uh, actually maybe we can drift back to the materials that we were using uh, at Air Cell because that will that will explain the look of the book. <laughs> a lot of the material that we did. Um, you're right uh, in intuiting the a uh, lot of felt tips. Um, yeah, we were using the cutting edge technology of the time. <laughs> <coughs> um, I think Yap was the only guy who'd had any experience using a crow quill. Um, I was trying out different brushes and uh, doing some stuff with distressed brushes, trying to get textures, but uh, we didn't have anything like Winsor-Newton Series 7 water- watercolor brushes. Sorry.
0: Would you just uh, basically be stuck
1: using whatever they would buy for the studio, or would you... There was definitely some buying in bulk from the studio. I actually had previously worked for the art store where we bought a lot of our our stuff, but um, we were trying to figure this stuff out as we went and developing a lot of different sort of systems to try and create a consistent or cohesive look because a lot of different people would be working on each book just to make the deadlines happen Mm -hmm. and to sort of appeal to everybody's particular interests. Uh, So... Yeah, I mean, Barry would sort of set the tone in, in some respects, but then, you know, Guang would be the, you know, uh, more of a technical innovator and uh, so try some of the things that he was doing for a while. Uh, and prior to Aerosol happening again, it was Barry's Night Wind Productions thing and trying to use things like repeatographs because that seemed to be the thing that professionals used. Um, but then a variety of... of you know, fine point felt tip pens were being introduced into the market around that time, and this was before Pigma came out with their fine fine point pens, and Statler and whoever else is making them now, I don't even know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, these horrible, horrible kind of nylon-tipped things with, um, full of solvents, uh, not light-fast, not waterproof, um, if you used uh, certain kinds of markers with them, they'd just bleed out like crazy. uh, you develop whole sort of ways of drawing around trying to uh, I don't know, accommodate the bleeds. Um, So whole styles of coloring with those Letraset markers, so you would just color almost to the edge of the black line just so the color would bleed into the black line rather than draw the black line out. Jesus. I know, it got kind of crazy, but... And now uh, all the pages are purple. <laughs> Hopefully they're all gone <laughs> you know? i know I know people sort of fetishize that stuff because of just the intensity of it like it's so intense and awkward and really trying super hard. Um, and and I like that stuff in other people's work. It's just really hard to look at your own and think of how earnest you were when you were trying to make it, and how ironically people sort of embrace it now. Yeah. So, yeah, we really didn't know what we were doing, and it it does capture this this kind of engaging and endearing amateurish energy that's that can't really be reproduced. It is sort of authentic in its way, but uh,
0: there's a, there's definitely like a kind of selective
1: revisionist look at some of the the I yep. work right now hmm i was talking to frank a little bit about this because i was sort of thinking about people like johnny negron and uh, benjamin mara mm-hmm. and guys like that i'm assuming that's sort of what you're talking about
0: yeah a little bit yeah i mean and, I and some friend and just friends that i hang out with just folks that I talk comics with okay and whatnot
1: i mean i i wouldn't want to credit AirCell with what those those two guys are doing but uh because uh, I think Mara's stuff reminds me of Guy Caldwell and people like that. It's like this really stilted kind of, uh, I don't know, you can even call it realism, but it's certainly not naturalism, but this really kind of awkward teenage kind of uh, figure drawing. Yeah, and some
0: uh, some Tim Vigil, for yeah. some measure. Yeah, sure. Um God, we're talking about cells so much, I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> you probably weren't either. Uh, uh,
1: no, no, I got, uh, you know, it's it's a weird thing to think about, actually, because it was so long ago. This is like you know, 25 years ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's also interesting because, like, you know, a lot came out of that, and it's kind of like this, from this weird watershed moment of Canadian comics and, um, you know, not to be repeated, I guess.
2: No, I mean, we were kind of It's not
1: like we were reviled at the time But it was not Vortex And it was not um, It was not high-minded in any way And it was kind of Not very um, Sophisticated or canny It was really, like I said, earnest and amateurish But uh, And with its eyes set firmly on uh, Genre So, I mean, Dale Keown, Guangya, Yap Jim Somerville, those guys were uh, You know in my eyes at that time, they were, like the, they were like the technicians. I was like, wow, they've got so much finesse, but um, um, Dave's the only guy that I've remained close to, and I mean, Barry's dead, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I know that Dale, uh, you know, I have sporadic contact with Dale, but not since Barry died, I think, and uh, I, I assume he's still out there doing stuff. I don't know what ever became of Guang. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I'd be
0: curious to know. I think, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I, mean I didn't even know when he was doing, I, you know, found out subsequently that he was working for Marvel at one point, but I never saw that stuff at the time.
0: It's, I mean, it's so weird, too, because, I mean, it's just, it's hard work to talk about because it's also, like, Barry kind of overshadows mm-hmm. all of it
1: in a way. Yeah. It's funny for such a, well, I guess it's not that unusual or remarkable, considering it was such a small group of guys that uh, you know one person would predominate. But, I mean, he had all those ideas sort of floating around before Air Cell came into being. Uh, He'd had all these sort of false starts and zines Mm -hmm. and stuff that he'd been doing in his sketchbooks for years and tried to get off the ground. So um, everybody contributed their there are two cents in shaping the book but yeah i mean it was you know cult of personality again is probably overstating it but yeah he was it was his show
0: it's i mean it's no matter what came out of that time there's always going to be that legacy that's linked to him
1: yeah well i mean the weird awkward
0: (laughs) what i'm Go for it. I I know. Well, it's, uh, yeah. Okay. I kind of want to talk about how you started developing your own personal work. Okay. Um, and, like, I kind of feel like, in a way, that Grendel's story, although it's work for hire, for, mm-hmm. you know, it's genre work, it still feels like kind of you doing personal work. And I guess it's one of the earlier comics that you wrote as well as Drew.
1: Yeah. I I think it's the only. Yeah. It's probably the only thing that I'd. Written substantially at that time. I mean, I did, yeah. Uh, I mean, it keeps going back to Air Cell, but it's not like that was a uh, crucible for everything that I've done since. But it was sort of, you know, my first, my first attempt at a lot of things. So, I did lots of dialogue and co plotting and stuff at Air Cell. Everybody did. Uh, it was a real dog's breakfast when it came down to doing stuff. So. Yeah, the Grendel, the Homecoming thing was my first sort of substantial solo effort. Um, a lot of help from Matt, uh, Matt Wagner on that one, and uh, Diana Schutz, obviously. And Dave and I were collaborating, so it was, you know, there was a lot of sort of safety nets around me, so it didn't seem like that um, that arduous a task. And I, you know, done so much work on on War Child that I, I had a what I thought was a good enough grasp on the characters and the world, and that was very generous to kind of let people um, you know, play in that sandbox, so to speak. So um, yeah. it, was, it was reasonably easy, I guess. I mean, that's one thing that I really have not looked back on for a while because I just don't have a copy of it kicking around. Um, but I know that, again, a lot of that stuff crept into hair shirts, so uh, I, a lot of the romance melodrama stuff that's in there. Um there are, you know, pretty strong echoes of it in Hairshirt now that I think of it. It's not the first thing that I would have thought of, but um it did occur to me just the other day that there are, you know, some strong elements.
0: I was looking at your uh blog posts on Self Made Hero um, mm-hmm. that you'd done I guess a couple of years ago about HairShirt and it seems like you're kinda it's a, a lot of your work's building up to it.
1: Yeah, well, it seems like it. Uh, you know, it was not planned. It's not like some kind of clear cut teleology. But uh, these things have cropped up over the years, and you just end up responding to them. Um, yeah, bits from here, bits from there. Uh, what was it? The um, uh, Luna Park, the strip that I did for Disney Adventures. It only lasted for two two installments before Heidi McDonald left the magazine, and I just didn't. I just didn't push it uh, with the new edit- editorial people. Um, I wasn't... What was going on at that time? Because I wasn't unhappy working for them. Uh, I had just started I would just gone back to school and I was doing storyboards at that time, so the idea of trying to carry on a regular strip uh, just seemed unfeasible because I was just running out of ideas uh, and trying to do these other two things at the same time. So. Um, that kind of just fell into the background, but uh, it's it's definitely played a role in hair shirt. And then, yeah, a couple of years later when I was casting about for um, Something to Do and Scott Alley offered me some pages in The, the Dark Horse Book of the Dead and I called them together, uh, Queen of Darkness, for that one, which was, I guess, kind of an update... Um, on the characters from Luna Park in a way and then pulling some other stuff from Zombie World and Wanted Man which was in Dark Horse Presents so yeah I mean these things are just kind of kicking around and it seems weird uh, to me to look back on it and think that those are the things that uh, ended up in my first you know, um, first book really What was while well, you are going to school
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you were doing storyboards at the same time <laughs> like paying your way through yeah school. that must have been uh, good for your sleep
1: Uh yeah it was it was grueling but uh, it was an interesting thing to do because they did sort of justify each other like all the things that you went to do one seemed to make the other one worthwhile yeah Um, but yeah because uh, the seasons would typically overlap they'd either be at the end of spring I think or the end of summer so it would cross over into the academic year. Um, that was insane. Uh, I There's no way I could do that again. Uh, there were lots of days where I'd be storyboarding for fourteen hours, uh, get like two hours of sleep and then go to class and then spend the rest of the day in the studio at the university uh, working on painting or photography or something like that so it was it was stupid but at that point in my life Uh, it just seemed like crash and burn. I really wanted to to do a degree and a bunch of other stuff transpired in my life that made it seem like going back was not an option. So, um, yeah, pressing forward and, uh, I mean, I was really engaged with what I was doing, the people that I'd met. Uh, It was something that had sort of been in the back of my mind for years. I mean, I guess when I'd been laid off during Grendel, between uh, Kamiko and, and Dark Horse was when I first went back to school um, for one semester in fine arts and kind of wet my whistle then, but wasn't in a position to pursue it. Um, and I wasn't ready for it, just mentally. I'm just, you know, artistically not mature enough, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I don't know, maybe that sounds... Well, that- sounds fatuous, but...
0: I didn't go to university till I was 27, so... Yeah.
1: It's, uh, I understand. <laughs> well, I took a couple of shots at it, and it just didn't take, um, for whatever reasons. I was a little bit standoffish about it, too. I had the typical attitude that a lot of... <clears throat> excuse me. Cartoonists and uh, um, commercial artists that I knew at the time had, which was, oh, you know, fine arts, academia, it's all bullshit. Um, and I just couldn't really maintain that because I didn't believe that. Um, sorry, I'm doing a lot of umming, it's just, we're going back, it's like, seriously, it's like 20 years now. (laughs)
0: Um, with going to school, I mean, one thing I was thinking about is how I know a lot of folks who go to school for animation and yeah. getting getting that animation job, the one that you had at the time of going to school, is is, <laughs> is, is is a goal. Um and it, it is really interesting to make that specific choice. Mm-hmm. You have what I'm presuming, you know, was a relatively decent job um doing the artwork to to make that choice to go to school is is, is not a simple just I'm gonna go to school. Like there's obviously you and yourself want to develop either your work or the ideas about your work.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I, Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Again, trying to, like, reconstruct my rationale for going back to school. Um, So many reasons. Again, I kind of put fine arts to the side because I wanted to pursue cartooning for a while. And um, I guess it just didn't seem possible to do both in the early nineties, uh, but then both worlds changed a lot. I mean, they've grown closer together. Uh, there's so much more overlap now than there was, so uh, the world conspired to bring it together to some degree, but there was still a lot of resistance. I remember when I was telling people uh, in the industry that I was going back to school, they were all kind of shaking their heads like, what do you want to do that for? Um, and it wasn't purely vocational by any stretch of the imagination, you're right. Uh, I you know, I was doing fine as a freelancer And I just kind of picked up uh, The gig with Warner Brothers Through um, Stephen DiStefano
2: mm-hmm.
1: And uh, <clears throat> Yeah, and I worked for Warner Brothers on and off For about three years, I guess
0: um, And like, really, if that's something you really wanted to do You could have just moved to L.A. or
1: Yeah, Vancouver. well, that was... That was in the cards uh, at one point. Uh, Warner Brothers TV Animation was going to pay for my ticket to go down there and get me a visa. Um, But I made the decision to stay in Canada and finish my education because I wanted something that was a little bit... I wanted a more substantial foundation where I lived, too. So I guess this is going to get personal. (laughs) There's no way to avoid it because it directly precipitates the whole you know, choice to go back to school and work in animation. I had been living in B.C. My girlfriend at the time was uh, in grad school in New York, so I was going back and forth all the time. I spent a lot of time in Williamsburg uh, before 1995, in fact, and um, just kind of leading this um, rootless, nomadic, not quite double life, but... um, you know, seeing these sort of different possibilities available to me. And some of them were, uh, were in the industry, um, but it was still the idea of getting to the United States uh, at that point was not possible. I didn't have any kind of uh, qualifications on paper, no credentials. All I was was a freelancer, so there was no need for me to be working in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a regular gig on it, anything, so nobody was going to, you know, bring me down to work in-house until Warner Brothers happened, so, um, yeah, um, so it was a lot of strain, and it wasn't doing a lot for my work, either, because uh, you're just constantly trying to hustle, and, um, having some kind of artistic ambitions, even within comics, is pretty hard to sustain when you're, uh, Or at least it was for me, when you're going back and forth, uh, coast to coast, uh, across two countries. So um, that kind of all went to shit. And that's, you know, that's some of the subject of Hair Shirt, or it's this sort of implied um, preface to Hair Shirt. and that just kind of shook everything up, and I had to take a long, hard look at what I was doing and what I wanted to do with it. And, I mean, that's still an evolving process because I'm still working in comics, and I'm teaching at a university and trying to make work that uh, isn't just comics. Not just comics, but isn't... Um, all my ideas aren't focused just on comic books. but
0: mm-hmm. I mean, it's your... One thing I kind of talk about s- with some of my friends, which sometimes doesn't make sense as far as what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. maybe, is kind of this idea of really conceptualizing comics, mm-hmm. in a way, and, that, and I was getting a bit of that out of um, looking, I mean, I don't have very good photos of looking at the work that you'd posted of your installations and your larger right. um, drawn work, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, the, I mean, you're definitely, in some components, meeting the pieces together,
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, um,
1: uh, how to contextualize this for your listeners, Uh, (laughs) who aren't seeing the work in front of them. So uh, we're talking about a large-scale installation with 7-by-10-foot drawings on canvas on the the walls with a large, um, soft sculpture knitted, uh, suspended between them. Uh, A long room divided into three chambers, um, sort of a a foyer, a main room, and then uh, another chamber in the back, and they're all lit differently. Um, But it was the idea of narrative, uh, extending narrative, say, off the page and into the architectural space. So um, dividing the the long room into three chambers was like, you know, dividing a page into three panels in a way. So trying to make those those connections uh, between, you know, the comics form, I guess, and uh, narrative more generally. But it was more concerned with ideas of staging, theater, architecture, drawing, and their shared histories. And Hair uh, Shirt was referred to, but more like a satellite, so it wasn't present, but it was it was implied. So I see them as having some kind of dialogue with each other, so the book is can be seen as a satellite for the installation or the installation can be seen as an extension of the book or, you know, it's not that one is uh, how to say this, Uh, one doesn't have primacy over the other, they're just kind of uh, associated thematically and formally
0: Have there been any folks that have done similar work that you've been influenced at all by or you've seen that have really fascinated you to bring you in that direction?
1: Um, I think it was going on, uh, before I was doing it, I just wasn't really aware of it, and, uh, through the process of trying to do it myself, I became more aware of it in other people's work, and I know, uh, you know, looking at a lot of the independent cartoonists now, so many of them have been to art school, mm-hmm. um, you know, since I've been to art school, a lot of them have done their, their cafes <laughs> while I was doing my MFA, but, um, I'd say here in Canada, uh, somebody, a couple of people that I've had the opportunity to meet and uh, have some, some dialogue with would be Sherry Boyle mm-hmm. uh, out of Toronto and, and Daniel Barrow. I don't know if you're familiar with either there. I'm very familiar with Sherry's work. I don't yeah. know the other person. Uh, Daniel does a similar kind of projection uh, and live performance, but he's an excellent, excellent draftsman, um, working sort of in this illustrative tradition. Um but uh yeah again it's it's taking that almost comic book narrative but to a completely different arena and uh you know with combined with live performance too. So it's it's very interesting stuff. Now that's not in my range of ambition, but uh definitely in terms of pointing to possibilities uh for making those connections between the gallery and uh, the printed page. Those are two people locally anyways. Uh Ed Pien who's, uh, I think he's Toronto-based now, um, doing some similar things, not so much in terms of performance, but uh, in terms of projected drawings and sculptural environments, uh, particularly softer materials. So he does a lot of sculpture with paper, um, and he does a lot of work with projected light as well. So,
2: um,
1: you know, combining cinema uh Cinema, video, sculpture, drawing. I mean, I, I see it all as all of a piece. I don't have equal facility with all those, those branches of it, but that was one of the things that I wanted to do uh, with, at least with my master's degree, was start branching out a little bit more um, without having to make it work within uh, the strict confines of, of cinema, per se, or uh, commercial animation, per se. Or you know, bringing aspects of animation into drawing, rather than having to bring drawing into animation. If that makes any sense. I think so. Just you know, animation has a very—it's got a particular history of its own. So, um, yeah. animation more broadly, uh, it's a very general term. But you know, we have traditions of animation, and uh, yeah. you know, to the point where it has its own department within within the university. You know.
0: Is that where your uh, No Escape comic is kind of touching on?
1: It is kind of, and it's a funny thing uh, because it's in some ways it 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 speaks very much to things like animation and video games and uh, board games and things like that. But at the same time, it's it's pretty thoroughly or firmly entrenched in comics because we're dealing with the idea of uh, lateral movement across the surface of a page because the, the backgrounds are deliberately shallow and it's one continuous space across all ten pages. So there's no, there's no deep illusionistic space and there's not any kind of cinematic montage. So it's actually the antithesis of cinema in a way, but it's it, paradoxically really close to animation.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's also some of the things you do illustration-wise... Mm-hmm. especially near the end where you start fading it out uh do you mean like where the pencil comes back in yeah
1: that was a happy accident actually <laughs> uh i got it was something that while it was happening i was like it would be great if i could just leave these in pencil and have the figures pop out like you know uh, inked figures against a uh, painted background in animation but uh, it became a question of time um we were really up against the deadline and I was, uh, uh, you know, I could have screwed the project actually. It would have, uh, we would have missed the solicitation date. Um, so it was it was a decision that I had to make in a 24 hour period. And uh, I think it made a uh, right so decision. It was kind of a happy accident anyways. Yeah. But it was something that I ended up pursuing more in my work uh, in school uh and yeah i mean it was a pretty simple exercise in depth if you think about it and people like uh chris ware had been doing stuff like that you know previously in acme novelty library and i just hadn't really it hadn't really sunk in that that was something i could have uh really run with in that in that story i kind of wanted to do this more conventional conventional it's thing
0: true. it's not often where someone actually will do something that works like that as a scroll though like i know um rebecca dart did rabbit head and jillian tamaki has something in her um gilded lilies collection which Mm. is kind of has this i mean hers is less narrative jillian's is but it still kind of has this like lengthy
1: thing where you can kind of just follow it Um, yeah well i think i mean i think it's as uh as more people come into the medium uh and there's there's more formal education as well, but, you know, just individual ingenuity. Um, they are just problems there uh, when you're making comics, because I didn't come at it um, from some kind of arch position of I'm going to do this innovative thing or, or something like that. It was just sort of like, why doesn't it work this way? Why can't you do this? And I mean, you know, the answer was, well, it can. You just have to figure out how to make it work. Um, so it came from a... I guess it was a fairly natural outgrowth. I'd done that wanted man thing for Dark Horse Presents and it was already starting to move away from uh, again cinematic illusionistic space into something that was considering the space of the page more Um, and you know which is already there in the medium. There's lots of examples of that but whether people are consciously mobilizing those things or not or at least were um, was not clear to me. So, um, yeah, doing doing No Escape was really just uh, uh, running up against limitations within the form, and then trying to come up with some way to get past them. So that was really just kind of it was another earnest experiment, and I haven't really followed it up. I did a sort of abbreviated version of it for the Giant Madman Special. Oh, okay, and uh, which I still don't. I haven't seen the finished thing. <laughs> I, I mean, um Mike sent me a or did he? No, I'm not, I'm not even sure if Mike sent me a, a JPEG of the colored page. I've seen it online. But he hasn't uh, sent you a copy of the book. I he will, I think when it comes out in mass market form, but uh you know, the giant the giant version, I don't know. It's like huge, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty big.
1: Yeah, there's too many contributors for everybody to get a to get a comp of that one, so um, I I know that there there were plans at one point to have a mass market edition at, at some later day, but um, anyways, I, that's the only time I've I've really followed up on that thing. Although I'm working on a short piece now for a literary magazine or a literary journal in Toronto. That's um, uh, kind of working with a uniform grid again, but it's not going to be something you can just scroll. Mm-hmm scroll across and I mean the thing with No Escape was it was logis—well, sorry, logistically a nightmare um, trying to make sure that uh, you know a character going in the opposite direction doesn't fall into another slipstream so uh, the mechanics of trying to have any kind of story of substance and then having characters avoid each other so somebody from somebody's future doesn't end up in their past uh, it was, yeah, it's <laughs> I've tried to come up with more complicated formulations, and it. it leads to, I don't know, hair pulling and hand wringing and brow <laughs> furrowing. It's, um, I'm just not that invested in it as a gesture in and of itself. If there's a story that I want to tell that requires that, then great, but if it's just a question of taking that set of mechanics out for a walk, I'm not I'm not that interested. So
0: You've got your formalist experiment out.
1: <laughs> well, I like to think that uh, they're all formalist experiments, but that's definitely an aspect of form that's really present. I think of that more as like the um, the framework or the skeleton of it. I mean, things like character is an aspect of form, so you can you can be formally formally experimental with things that are invisible in the medium, but. Uh, uh when people talk about the medium's form they tend to you know they tend to think about things like the configuration of panels or you know staging of space and time uh across the two dimensional surface but you know phenomenologically uh the story is also the imagined dimension, so uh, all the stuff that happens in the writing that's not visible is also you know formal so there you go it's an impromptu listening form
0: <laughs> i'm probably the only person'll ask this, but um when you did your your MFA, did you also have to do an accompanying thesis to the final oh, project?
1: Yeah, uh, the written component at Concordia is not uh, there's not a lot of emphasis put on it and it's not that arduous uh, you know at other, other institutions the, the written portion or your dissertation is, is more substantial but mm. uh, I ended up writing a longer piece that was more like a piece of creative essay writing um, again, it was like an extension of the piece because the uh, installation itself incorporated text and uh, notebooks as well. So uh, another piece of writing that didn't actually have to be in the room, but uh, spoke to the conditions. It was it made total sense in the context of the uh, of the installation. So uh, yeah, I mean, I did a lot of I did a lot of reading in theory. Uh, I did a lot of I put a lot of time and thought into my academic electives because uh, teaching was one of the things that I wanted to get out of the degree so I wanted to make sure I knew my stuff but it was also one of the things that drove me to go back to school in the first place was intellectual curiosity so um, so it was it was a natural for me to want to do to do the reading And I mean you know we're, we're dealing with comics so it's as much reading as it is you know looking at stuff um, it's, you know, it's, you know.
0: It's a different way of processing information. Yeah, it's another kind of book. <laughs>
1: you know, it's, uh, it's a book culture, and it's very different from the visual arts culture, which is is bookish, but it's not, you know, it's not that concerned with that stuff. I mean, uh, there are a lot of really, really hyper-intelligent people in the fine arts, and a lot of them are really theoretically oriented, but it's it's a more directly experiential Mm -hmm. Uh, way of learning so it's very hands on Uh, the book learning is really really important but doing stuff and learning through making things is, is paramount
0: In Hairshirt, Shirt, um, your <clears throat> protagonist is an artist and there's one part in here where uh, he kind of goes in a little bit of a rant about um, active engagement in the work. Okay. Instead of passively consuming the image like a commodity, it's more like a <laughs> polemical proposition than entertainment.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> to
1: which to which the Naomi replies, that sounds a little pretentious. Mhm.
0: Um... I'm curious about about that part putting that particular thing in
1: well it's kind of it's kind of a stock phrase that you know um, uh, well, it may not be a stock phrase. it's a bit of a stereotype uh It's true, but it's not true um to the exclusion of a lot of other things. It's just kind of it sounds good as like a an art school line.
0: now you particularly you don't show his art at all. I don't remember no. seeing it in the book. And um, I'm really curious about that because I was thinking about like with Dave's work mm-hmm. and how he, he will specifically do that where you'll see the artist, you'll be engaging with the artist and then you'll see the artist's page and how he shifts up his style and I'm wondering about your choice of not doing that. I mean, is it a specific narrative choice? Or... Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely wanted it to be implied and I knew that nothing I could come up with would look suitably different from what I do as a cartoonist and it just didn't seem believable to me but I also wanted there to be uh, a dimension of um, something almost unimaginable or not unimaginable the opposite imaginable but not you know not something that I could draw Um, uh, something that would imply something to do with the hair shirt but wouldn't be literally there for you to look at. You can see little bits of it in the corner, Mm -hmm. and I had some work in mind. Um, Some people that I was in school with at the time were making these these kinds of paintings that uh, probably would have been suitable, and I've seen stuff since, but it was nothing I could figure out how to visualize uh, in comic book form, so I thought it would be... um, better to leave it implied uh, like a lot of other things in the story I think it's, it's better left implied so it doesn't, I think to have locked it down as an image would have really taken um, It just would have rendered it kind of banal because uh, you can't really get the dimension or feeling of a painting in print Yeah,
2: um,
1: and it wouldn't really have so much to do with the subject per se as as the treatment of the subject so that's where I start to genuinely lapse into that kind of art speak because it really, really is a different experience looking at a painting than it is uh, you know, like a, a drawing, a printed drawing in a comic book, so I just didn't think I could do the idea justice I probably could have cribbed something from <laughs> from somewhere, but my painting as an undergrad was nothing like that it wasn't expressive at all, it was mostly geometric abstraction, and it was all concerned with color, so I didn't have any of my own work to draw from, and it really, you know, this is where uh, one of the one of the many places where the character of John and I part company uh his art practice is really really different from mine um, as it turned out, I did do a wall mural uh in grad school that might have been suitable um, and the stuff that I did after hair shirt after the graphic novel for my thesis exhibition probably would have would have worked well, but uh Yeah, at the time I was doing the book, there was nothing nothing on the boards that would have been suitable.
0: Now this was finished quite a long time ago, then, because Mm -hmm. it came out in England in 2011, but it first came out in French. Mm -hmm. And what year? Around when did you have? Uh,
1: It came out in France in in 2010, but I was finished the writing and the drawing in 2008, so it's, yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, I've been in this kind of limbo uh, (laughs) between editions, uh, waiting for it to come out in North America, where uh, uh, I kind of have, I guess I'm best known in North America, so uh, it seems to have some good momentum behind it here. I'm I'm grateful for that, uh, because... I don't know. I don't know what it's doing in Europe. I honestly don't.
0: I think we should make a note of uh, a mutual friend of ours who ordered 100 copies <laughs> of it. Uh, Gareth at Legends in Victoria. Yes. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you, Victoria. <laughs> Apparently they've
1: sold out of the orish- the initial order of 100 of them. So. What? Yep. Yeah. And uh, they've got a bunch on back order. So hang in there, Victoria. They're that, on their way.
0: That guy is a champion hustler.
1: He is, he's really, he's so dedicated to the whole enterprise and the medium, and uh, as, you know, both, um, as both a shop owner and a cartoonist himself, uh, he's a tireless promoter, and uh, again, grateful, uh, not just for Herrscher, but, you know, he's a, a very old friend at this point, I guess I've known that guy for God. Uh, since, a couple of years? Yeah, since the mid-90s at least.
0: It's, it's funny because we know a bunch of the same people, but I don't think I've ever met you except at a convention when I was a teenager. Oh, man, where was that? That was in Vancouver. Was it at uh, the one on Main Street? or? No, it wasn't one of Leonard's. It was uh, the one of the other ones. Gosh. God. <laughs> yeah, this is a long... This is probably 95, 94.
1: Okay, well, I was still living there then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was only in Vancouver on and off For about four years And then Victoria on either either end of that So, yeah, I mean There are a lot of people actually in Vancouver In the comics world That I didn't really get to know that well
0: But, uh Ron Turner, you guys uh, Did the Small press scene together, TikTok Yeah Um, And that strikes me as one of your Earlier personal works Um, Especially, I was reading through them and one story in particular stuck out, um, *Somnambulist*. I'm totally mispronouncing it, probably.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Jesus, I yeah. remember that one? <laughs> you did <do>, Yes. Or... <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it struck me as very different for your work. Uh,
1: yeah, um, that one was more. Uh, yeah, it was kind of liberating, I guess. <laughs> um,
0: like, oh, a comic from 20 years ago.
1: Well, no, I'm just I'm really having a hard time remembering this stuff, because I, I don't, I you know. It was
0: like a dream-type comic. It was completely silent. Yeah. It almost felt like a...
1: It's got Godzilla in it, I think, <laughs> yeah. at one point. <laughs> and then just the weird, yeah, there's the come-hither thing from across the alley, I think. Am I re- remembering the right thing?
0: I don't think so.
1: Okay no i think this one has a
0: dog oh that one
1: yeah okay yeah because we did like four or five issues of that thing yeah
0: all the other ones were like fairly straightforward okay um, you know autobio or pseudo autobio or this other yeah. particular character i think it was it freddy uh yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah Auto
1: uh,
0: autobio or just shitty um <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's a lot of shitty work in there. Uh, that's what happens when you feel really constrained by the mainstream and then you haven't really had any experience doing anything else. So there's a lot of just stupid gags and uh, one-liners and just kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'll just draw whatever comes to mind, which is awesome if you have a better mind. Uh, I know the one you're talking about. And yeah, that one was that one was a little bit more in line with something like Wanted Man in terms of there wasn't a lot of uh, continuous action from panel to panel each, each thing was kind of like a separate tableau and it was all tied together with the text um, and I think it's like a dog bites a guy's hand and then it ends up with a nuclear explosion <laughs> so yeah really inspired but <laughs> it did kind of use like the short story as a way to introduce a variety of characters and make these sort of tenuous links between them so it's the thinnest thread of the narrative um, but there's something in it that I've carried through. And yeah, it's probably probably the best thing I did in that whole run. Uh, there was some nice drawing in it, too, which is I'm now damning myself with faint praise, which is something that I always hate. <laughs> uh, you sure can draw. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um,
0: you draw them pictures good. <laughs> yeah,
1: I can draw them real purdy for you.
0: It, talking about hair shirt... Mm-hmm. Um very modern work for you. I realize I'm treading the past, which I tend to do sometimes. Well, um, it's, maybe it's a pastime of mine. Going through people's piles and files and artwork and whatnot.
1: If it didn't seem relevant in terms of context, I'd probably, you know, try and move past it, but uh, you know. It seems relevant. Um
0: but it, it I mean, especially with you like I'm really curious about your kind of artistic dichotomy. Um, (laughs) And I wonder if you know what I mean by that. Um, Like I see you doing a work like this. that's very personal. Mm -hmm. um, And then you're also doing animation work or, you know, a story for Vertigo, a short story for Vertigo or something for, you know, bizarro comics. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how important it is for you as an artist to be creating these personal comics.
2: Um uh,
1: very. <laughs> uh, no, part of me was going to say that, well, if I wasn't doing these personal things, I wouldn't be in this line of work at all, and that's sort of true and sort of bullshit, because uh, some stuff I do just because it's a skill set that I have, and I need to get by, and I would rather do a, you know, do freelance work on a project that I enjoy and like. Than you know something that I hate. So uh, I've been very lucky, especially in recent years, to work on things like The Venture Brothers, which is actually an awesome show to work on and a really great group of people to work with. So, um, but it's not personal to me, obviously, in the way that Hairshirt is. So. Um, I think animation uh, at the time that I started my BFA was me trying to get out of doing um, uh, as much work for hire and uh, trying to make some room for myself uh, to let some ideas settle or to sift through them or to try different things. Um, Because I realized, you know, I'd made a few stabs at... um, Independent stuff, some short stories for Dave Cooper, uh, for Bob Fingerman in the back, Minimum Wage. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of other things here and there, but, you know, I was still having to pay the bills. And I think I'm really deeply invested in the medium, but I'd spent so much time in the industry end of it, and I needed to figure out a way to sort of... um, Ring some of the industry out of the medium for me, because I think uh, when I'm working, uh, because I started so early and started with a focus on genre stuff, that, again, that shaped my practice, for lack of a better word, uh, unduly. Um, so I'm grateful for all the stuff that I learned, but that wasn't where my ambitions lay, um, and I needed to expand my vocabulary. So... Um, but I don't have the luxury or the wherewithal to just get out of doing commercial work altogether. And I also have a fondness for um, a lot of it. Um, I haven't, you know, I never threw in the towel entirely. I just wanted to find better ways to do it and things that were challenging in different ways. So that might explain a little bit why I've jumped around so much. Uh, is It's, you know, afforded me opportunities to try um, different Styles, different ways of working across comics and animation, doing a little bit of writing uh, mm-hmm. stuff where I'm just penciling, stuff where I'm you know penciling, inking, and doing doing some color. Um, so it was, I guess, you know, trying to in- uh, assemble an education uh, even within the industry that would allow me to kind of get beyond it, if that makes sense. Yeah, i um- trying try to keep that balance as far as I think anybody who's cut their teeth. Uh, in sort of more mass-market stuff and try to do something personal, it's really hard to shake a lot of the uh, genre conventions uh, or, you know, trying not to filter your personal experience through those genre conventions, or at least not the ones that um, seem really exhausted or just played out. So, because I can think of, you know, people who do it with much more... um, Sort of critical detachment, um, so obviously somebody like dan Dan Klaus can you know use genre the way he needs to, but he doesn't get drowned in it. Yeah. He, you know he can make that tension work between his personal life and those kind of rigid aspects of the genre.
0: It seems like you could have almost at one point just gotten lost and been like a vertigo type artist,
2: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry if I make that sound bad.
0: No, 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 I'm, I'm
1: just, it's, it's always a danger. <laughs> if I'm not careful, that could happen to me, and I, I you know, some days I'm, uh, Chris, Chris Oliveros actually suggested taking a pair of shirts to, uh, to Vertigo at one point when we were, you know, trying to license it in North America. He was like, well, Vertigo might be interested." And I'm like, oh, not to dis but that's not really why I want to go.
0: No, I mean, it's, uh, I, I see this where, you know, a job will pay real good. And people just kind of be stuck there and surefully stagnate
1: um, not yeah to, I mean, the thing is I have to tread carefully because I'm you know a lot of my friends do this that kind of work um, not just in comics but you know in television and animation, so I don't want to draw really you know deep lines in the sand, but uh and I still work you know I still work in mass market stuff, and I, again, I do enjoy it, but uh, I do feel that it, it the bottom line does unduly limit uh, what you can do. And
2: uh,
0: and I'm I'm more referring to a particular kind of situational, a lot of folks who just kind of ended up in Vertigo and just never went anywhere else, not necessarily <laughs> you work on corporate stuff and you're stuck in corporate stuff. I'm just kind of, I see. But yeah, I'm digressing now. Uh yeah. <laughs>
1: You're trying to get me to shit-talk vertigo, aren't you?
0: No, no, no need to. I think they do it to themselves. Um, <laughs> well, this is this is where you have
1: me at a disadvantage, because I don't even know what's going on there.
0: And you don't need to. And I think, uh, like I said, I'm digressing too much. So, we should talk more about hair shirt. Yay! <laughs> um, did you have much editorial support while you are working on it from... Um, was it, Jean Safar was one of your editors on it, or?
1: Um, he was sort of editor in name only. He was the guy who brought me on to the project, but Mm -hmm. uh, then it was uh, Terry Laroche, who was the uh, line editor at the time. He's now, I think, the supervising editor, or I'm not sure what his position is. Um, We had some dialogue back and forth. He had a few things he wanted changed, but basically they let me. After they approved the project, uh, I did a proposal for them. Excuse me, in ten pages of sample artwork, and once that was approved, I they trusted me enough, I guess, to uh, to do the whole thing, which is kind of crazy because I'd never done, you know, um, it's 120 pages. I'd never done anything that long all in one go before, um, but it wasn't really until the end, and they saw the finished um, black and white work, and Terry had a few things that he wanted to change, just because he thought they were too strong for the audience, so it was a little bit too dark in a few places. Um, but other than that, it was it was more... It more like copy editing and just logistics, so, you know, scheduling things. But no, there wasn't a lot of... You
0: uh, had a lot of free reign.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, I think that's a good thing. I didn't, you know, I didn't get stuck at any point, so I didn't really need editorial. Um, although they seem to think now that it's a little bit too dark, so... Um, you know, I, I think they were satisfied with it at the time, but I don't think it sold uh, quite as well for them. Um, somebody pointed out to me recently, because I've been mulling this over, is that it, it it doesn't really sit well with the rest of their line, the Bayou line for Gallimard, because um, that's aimed at uh, probably a younger audience. And while they were open to me dealing with with uh, adult sexuality, and you know difficult themes um i you know it was early in in the days of 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 the bayou line so i think uh, things have shaped up to be a, a little bit more upbeat yeah and it doesn't really fit in that market and over here it's definitely not for young adults um or maybe it is i don't know apparently that that's changed over here so some dark young adults uh yeah well apparently there's there's kind of now a, a YA genre of like erotic literature, and I'm like, the. <laughs> <I'm coughs>
0: glad that wasn't around when I was a kid. Um... Might have helped us all.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think it's sort of the way it was described was like something between um, Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know what the hell it's you know they're talking about, but apparently it's a thing. So
0: I just don't want to see the creepy guys buying those books that aren't children. Um, <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, you won't have to Because they'll be buying it online <laughs> Thank you, internet Yeah, exactly, let's just put it Back in the private space There we go People can have their shame in private now <laughs> Again Um,
0: One of the In hair shirt, one of the more important things Is kind of the use of uh, I guess visual metaphors Okay In it, um, specifically the dog um, Yes And the boy face dog mm mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering about kind of developing those that specific visual metaphor without kind of going into too much of the detail of um,
1: Yeah, I mean my answers for these things are a little disappointing because it's sort of an organic growth um, I don't think the boy dog was there uh, when I started the project I'm, I'm not sure exactly at which point that emerged but uh, yeah, it it's people have asked me about the writing process and the drawing process and they, they go back and forth uh, at a very rapid pace and things really start to suggest themselves as you start to get stuff down on page on the page and um, the whole sort of fill themselves in. I know that just sounds like a total cop-out but it's really like it's almost like you get into this fugue state and it just seems to sort of fall together. There's a lot of um I guess, gathering before that. And there's a lot of note-making and sketch-doing and sketch-doing. <laughs> Sketch-drawing. <laughs> sketch sketching, I think, is the word. Um, uh, let's go with sketching. Uh, and then once that stack of stuff is there, uh, it's a question of fitting it together. And um, Yeah, I really don't know... I have like general themes in my mind as I'm working and atmospheres and uh, vignettes and I start with those and then you sort of connect them together so you have sort of strong feelings about certain things or uh, some things I can visualize really easily other other parts of the same scene uh, need to be worked out on paper so um, you know there are things that are quite clear to me before I even begin and then the rest of it just has to be worked out on paper, and I don't really know how to describe it other than really as working it out. Like, I don't know it until I see it.
0: So did you script it
1: all before? No. Or? No. I had I had chapters in mind. Again, it, it started with scenes that were sort of loosely related thematically, and I, I had most of the characters. I had the main three. Um... Chris came in there somewhere, I don't I can't even remember now um, how that happened or at what stage that happened um, but there were like just flashes of dialogue or dynamics between characters that needed to be fleshed out and that led to um, larger events which then suggested connections and then I mean as you go through the book you can see things are recapitulated um, and. Yeah, I mean, I, I kept structuring it as I went along. So I I think in the drawing, I just, I have to look at the book here for cues. Because um, it didn't start with chapter one, then chapter two, then chapter three, I think. I started with a good chunk of chapter two, and then went to chapter three, and then worked back from there. So a lot of it was sort of like, I have this thing, how do I get to this thing from... Uh, a reasonable outset, but I know that page one was there early, early on, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of disparate fragments um, and then you just have a sense of a current underneath it like some sort of general trajectory, and then there was a lot of juggling as things started coming together and they would, uh, I know I still have notes for the outline and how those things got shuffled around um, certain events got broken up into uh, a couple of chapters, so some of the flashbacks were probably distributed over the chapters as it made more sense for the story to, oh, no, that needs to be revealed after this happens
2: mm-hmm.
1: kind of thing. So I think it's fairly standard story writing stuff. So
0: Now, the, I think I read somewhere that you're reading or you're kind of exposed to some French work in before this like jean safar and yeah association and stuff and i'm wondering how that affected you stylistically
3: for uh,
1: i think it was a little bit disingenuous when i wrote that in the bio because i was speaking to my my french french audience so i was trying to fire <laughs> them um not jean safar who i remember encountering his work in france uh when i was over there but um Coincidentally, Dave Cooper had, was already familiar with his work, and it was something that he was going to suggest to me, because he'd seen similarities in my work to Joanne's work, and when Joanne actually saw the piece that I did for Dark Horse Presents, I think he recognized that as well, so there was this sensibility that was sort of shared. I mean, I grew up in Ottawa, so Bon disney was not hard to come by. There were a bunch of bookstores that had French comics, and obviously, you know, heavy metals, reprints of, of all kinds of stuff, but... The uh, association, yeah, I was dimly aware of their stuff, but there wasn't a lot of it in BC when I was there. Um, well, we just had uh,
0: Sophia's books, which is gone now. Right.
1: Yeah. Actually, I got a bunch of Yves Chalon stuff from those guys. Uh, that was yeah, that was a really good resource. Um, I think again, it was as I've said to a few people, it was it was something that was already present in my work, and it was almost just waiting for somebody to give me permission. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, I guess, in the kind of publications I was working in here, it just didn't seem to be that appropriate, even just on a, you know, from the point of view of reproduction. It just wouldn't have reproduced that well for the kinds of books that I was working on a lot of the time, or it just didn't seem appropriate. And I might not have had enough confidence to, you know, put it out there.
0: As re- reproduction is getting, you know, you can pretty much reproduce anything now thankfully with technology would that change any future work um kind of incorporating more of the light penciling
1: yeah i think it will i mean uh again it's a concern for me right now as i'm you know embarking on a couple of new projects and i'm a little bit hung up on how i'm going to proceed because it's almost like you can do anything so what are you going to do and it's like i can't do everything because i'll just go mental i need to have some kind of parameters to work within and then expand them if i need to but Yeah, uh, we'll be looking at at possibilities for that. I mean, looking around at what's going on, it's like every conceivable approach to drawing, uh, narrative drawing is is going on somewhere. So um, I guess I'm waiting for other things to sort of guide those decisions, like what does the story need in particular, like what's appropriate to the story. I don't want it to just be like an inventory of facts necessarily. So... Um, Yeah, I mean, I try to keep the drawing a little bit more intuitive now. I find it really hard to sort of impose stylistic decisions on it the way that I used to as a younger person. Um, And maybe that's just getting a little bit more set in my ways, but I think some of it's also, you know, I'm getting tired of having to do it a particular way to, you know, meet the look of an existing project. Um, But, I mean, even when I started doing you know, independent stories or little short stories. Uh, You know, people like Chris Ware and and Dan Klaus and and even Chester Brown and and Seth, those guys were casting a really long shadow. And it seemed like, oh, well, if you're going to do this kind of work, you need to kind of clean it up and make it a little bit more like classic comics. And uh, what I was doing was a little bit more gestural and um, loose. And I guess Dave Cooper was the only person I could point to at that time who was kind of working in an uh, I guess he was the only other person around that, you know, with the guts to kind of do that, that mm-hmm. I can think of. There were obviously other people. I'm not doing something that isn't done. Uh, it's just sort of... Um, there,
0: There's definitely been a shift in, like, the last 15 years of going from, like, in the 90s... There was a lot more of that, like you said, that clean, crisp, wear, that mm-hmm. very you know, thick inked line from folks. Um, but like post Fort Thunder, it's a lot easier to be messier and to yeah. let the chips fall where they may.
2: I think a lot of that's the influence of of
1: stuff from outside of comics, and if it's you know unschooled manga from the 80s or Gary Panter,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you know him bringing in more sort of expressionist moves and uh, Chicago Imagist stuff and obviously like underground comics like Crumb and, and uh, Aline Kaminsky and people like that so I mean that stuff's been out there for a long time. Uh, I think what I do, the way I draw it, it's, it's more lyrical and people associate it more with uh, a European kind of thing just because it's their, you know, uh, God, echoes of romanticism, more gestural drawing. It's kind of old-fashioned in a way. Um, And I think the Chris Ware, Dan Klaus thing gets associated with a kind of formalist rigor that we associate with modernism, Mm -hmm. at least in North America. Um, And it's a very particular strain of modernism, and it's a very kind of direct address of of the language of comics from, say, the Golden Age and, you know, the kind of um, conventions that built up around representation at that time. And it's kind of... I see it as kind of very pragmatist and kind of masculine and then I see what I do as seeming a little bit more effeminate if that makes any sense
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's, you know, it's this kind of lighter, nervous, scratchy line you're it's kind a- of in a post-Julie Doucet world yeah, and I mean she's somebody who kind of has this, this expressionist thing but she's also got a very bold and confident mind and a very strong graphic style so again, I think that's why people sort of associate me sometimes with Vertigo or or people like Guy Davis who's also you know he came up around the same time I did um, but has chosen to stay more in the uh, well BPRD and that kind of thing.
0: No he's all making movies now. Is he? Awesome. He's doing uh, character designs for stuff and I think it's doing quite well for him.
1: Well yeah I mean he's super talented Um, the other guy that I think of too, who's just released a graphic novel through Self Made Hero too, is Glenn Dillon. Mm-hmm. So he, I mean, he took off to work in film years ago, and I guess he's been doing storyboards and a variety of other things. So it's you know, there's I, I don't know if I'm going to compare myself to people. I guess the trajectory of my career has been a little bit like those two guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see between <clears throat> you and Glenn like some, some commonalities. I actually talked to him a couple of months ago. And, uh, you know, it's definitely like coming from its other way and coming back with, you know, a very mm. personal work.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, I haven't... I've seen it in the stores. I haven't I haven't read it yet. he has got a very kind of clean, and um, it seems more rigorous. Uh, again, I guess if we're talking about why this stuff happened, it was basically that uh, uh, Gallimard gave me, you know, carte blanche to do this. They encouraged me to work, A, in the European... Uh, hyphen, not North American style, as they <laughs> specified it, <clears throat> um, which sounds pejorative, but I knew what they meant. And they wanted it to look fairly spontaneous, like it was, you know, straight out of my sketchbook, so I tried to work as spontaneously as possible. Um, you know, the look of the the Bayou line has since changed, but at the time, that was, you know, at least what they were encouraging me to do based on the stuff that they'd seen, which again, was uh, the one strip that I did for Dark Horse, Book of the Dead, the Queen of Darkness. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, uh, you know, having talked to, a, talked to a few people about it before the North American release, it was pretty hard to find people who actually read the book <laughs> in English. So, uh, you know, people who had ordered it online from the UK. Um, and I received some, some good feedback for the writing. I think there were a number of people who know me best for things like Zombie World were a little bit underwhelmed with the drawing because uh, I think they wanted something that was a little bolder and a little bit more solid and volumetric, and this was uh, maybe a little bit more gestural, a little bit too uh, loose. Um, no, that's too bad for them. Well, I mean, it's it's a fair it's a fair statement, but it's it's also my answer to that was that each project affords different opportunities to try different things, and when
3: uh, with
1: this one. A lot of it went into the writing and the structure of the story and the idea of, of trying to execute this book in a style like, say, Zombie World or even you No know, Escape it just wouldn't make sense to me because it just doesn't, I can't really imagine the story uh, with that kind of drawing. So, uh, you know, the, the quality of the line work to me speaks directly to the to the, not just the mood of the story, but the themes. So...
0: Now, are you going to be doing any signings or events uh, with the book now out?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm scheduled to be at TCAF in May, so I think that's the 11th and 12th in oh, Toronto.
0: Along with Glen Dillon, who we just mentioned,
1: actually. Uh, okay, well, we'll finally meet after <laughs> all these years. <coughs> yeah, I don't know who else is going to be there. I think Jim Luggs going to be there. And I'm looking forward to meeting him. Yeah, it's
0: going to be, there's a lot of folks. Uh, the Hernandez brothers will be there.
1: I've 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 met Jaime before. Uh, I spent some time in L.A. when I was working for um, uh, for Warner Brothers. I got a chance to meet him and his brother Ishmael. I
0: haven't met Ishmael.
2: <laughs>
1: he's, he's he's the one who was in Doctor No and uh, some other some other L.A. bands. He's he's a giant. He's Sorry. a friendly <laughs> giant. <laughs> nice. He's, well, he's bigger than me. He's a really nice guy. <laughs>
0: Uh so no signing in Montreal or anything?
1: Uh I haven't talked to the guys at Drawn and Quarterly. Uh Jason Grimmer at the store. Um might we might work out something in terms of uh, a book signing or something like that. But uh uh even though it's right around the corner. <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't actually crossed paths with Jason yet, so You're it in Saint Laurent. What's that?
0: You're in Saint Laurent. Is that the right area? I'm in the mile end see I've uh, my girlfriend knows Montreal much better than me (laughs) you gotta come to
1: Montreal I will
0: will. she wants to go this summer so hopefully we go Um, thank you so much Patrick for talking to me we covered a lot of stuff Uh, reminder folks I've been talking to Patrick McEwen his new book is Hair Shirt from the fine folks at Self Made Hero um, available freshly in stores and uh, some stores have more copies than others. Or ordered more copies than others. I guess they doesn't have any more. Um, thank you so much, Patrick.
1: And thank you, Robin.